Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of Dan and Benny in the Ring. I'm Dan Spastiano, joined, as always, by the BS Express himself, Benny Scala. Benny, how you doing today, buddy? You know, Dan, everybody knows that – anybody who knows me knows I'm a huge baseball fan. So, 1932 World Series, game three, inning five, top of the fifth at Wrigley Field, Babe Ruth against Charlie Root, which is the equivalent of maybe Andre the Giant versus Spaceman Frank Hickey would be the, the, you know, the best equivalent I could come up with. Babe Ruth points to the center field fence. Next pitch, which is, you know, a baseball legend. Did he really do it or did he not? I want to say he did it. It was Babe Ruth. Hits the next one right where he pointed. So he called his shot. And I'm I'm calling my shot. I'm going to say that this is going to be one of our better, one of our best shows. And people are really going to like this show. There you go. Uh, Benny, the only guy I know that can uh, lead into a, I'm looking forward to today with a story about the 1932 World Series. Hey, man. That's <laughs> what makes well, me me, right? You you say this is going to be one of our best shows, Benny. Why don't you introduce the world to who our guest is tonight? Well, I quote, unquote, met. Uh, for his birthday party on August the 8th, we really didn't meet. We were both kind of busy doing our thing. I might. I saw him around. He actually uh, gave Jimmy Valiant a beautiful uh, championship tag team uh, belt. Uh, but we became friends on Facebook. We've been chatting back and forth. And our guest is actually a three-time NWA world tag team champion. Uh, he is also a member of the New England Wrestling Professional Hall of Fame. Um, and the author of this, this phenomenal book that I read this weekend, it's called Waking Up. From the wrestling ring to the yoga mat, our guest is Brendan Higgins, also known to wrestling fans as Knuckles Nelson. Uh, Mr. Brendan, it's a pleasure having you on Dan and Benny in the Ring. Oh, it's great to be here, Benny. It's great to be here, Dan. And please call me Knuckles Nelson for the show. Okay. <laughs> Knuckles or Knucks? <laughs> Knucks is fine, too. Knucks. All right. You got it. All right, Benny. Well, you got... Uh... You you did the intro. You you helped set this up with your with your meeting. Um, so you got Knuckles' first question. What are you thinking? So um, the book, which I absolutely totally enjoyed, I, I read it with great pleasure over the weekend. Had a lot of great stories, and uh, one of the stories I liked the best was your very first experience at a live wrestling show. I think you were uh, being taken out by your father. It was under kind of false pretenses uh, that you were doing attending some kind of work related function with him. But you wound up actually at the Mount St. Charles Academy in Woonsocket, Rhode Island, uh, to attend a wrestling event. So uh, uh, please tell the listeners about that night. And uh, I, I, I think you met your uh, lifelong hero that night, or almost met him. Well, guys, you know, I've been out of wrestling for a long time. During the 90s, I had a, a, you know, I had a run in the wrestling world. And, you know, it's been a really long time since then. And when I wrote the book in 2018, it gave me an opportunity to revisit a lot of the things that um, have, you know, if it wasn't for YouTube and magazines, it would almost be like I dreamed the whole thing because it was so long ago. But one of the stories I did share was the first time I was face-to-face -face with Jimmy Valiant was, uh, I can't tell you the exact date. I can't tell you anyone else that was on the card, but I can tell you that the first match 
was Jimmy Valiant versus Tony Gurria. And like you said, I was I was taken as a surprise for my birthday as a small child. And I didn't even know we were going to wrestling. And then we walked in. I saw a wrestling ring in the middle of the of the high school gym. And the first wrestler out was my favorite wrestler of all time, handsome Jimmy Valiant. And uh, it was quite an experience. It was, you know, it was obviously it was much different than today. There was no pyrotechnics. There was no security railings. You could actually touch the ring in the front row. There was no, um, the, the wrestlers did not come down a ramp. There was no music. They just came through a, a locker room door in the high school. And uh, it was up to each individual performer to get themselves over with the crowd. So much different than today. So right. we, we have something in common. My, my first event was at the Island Garden in uh, West Hempstead, New York. I I don't remember. I, I happen to be able to look up the date. It was April 26, 1968. But kind of the same thing. The main event was Bruno San Martino versus Toro Tanaka. And the minute I saw Bruno, that was my hero. And 53 years later, the man is still my hero. Kind of the same thing with you. You saw Jimmy. You know, many, many years later, the man is still your hero. Um, was that the night, uh, Nux, that you decided that you did want to become a professional wrestler? I don't think so. I, I don't think I just really, it really never clicked with me to become a professional wrestler until one day in my early 20s. I started late in wrestling when I was reading an article in a local magazine, a local newspaper in Rhode Island that said that a former WWF wrestler was opening a wrestling school in Rhode Island. And then it was the light bulb went over my head you know i was going from one crappy job to another i really had no interest in anything other than martial arts and wrestling and i really back then there was no social media there was nothing i i had no idea how to get into wrestling so i made my way down to this um this wrestling tryout that they were having and then you know a lot of things happened of course from there that uh led me actually into the wrestling world so you actually went to two different wrestling schools. If I read, if I read the book right, th there was one that was, you know, a little bit kind of on the shady side. You know, within five minutes, you're doing suplexes without even learning how to take a bump. And I think you had a, a match with your friend Clint Rampage pretty quickly after you started. But the, and you were Hurricane Higgins at the time. But the good thing is, even though that wasn't like the best experience uh, at that at that match, you were discovered by a gentleman named Bob Evans and uh, started training at the Coastal Pro Wrestling School. Is that correct? Yeah. When when, uh, when we went to this so-called wrestling school for an open tryout, uh, I quickly realized that, you know, th there was nothing professional about the school. It was, it was a bunch of guys. It was a glorified backyard uh, group, but I had no where else to turn. And I really, the bug, the bug was in me. The, the seed had been planted at this point. So I really wanted to wrestle. We wrestled on our first match completely untrained. It was just a backyard um, uh, show in a boxing ring with the bottom rope missing. And we really were lucky to get out of there without injuring ourselves or each other because we really had no idea what we were doing. But when the, when the match was over, uh, a young kid approached me, a young redhead, and he said to me, um, I think you guys are completely crazy, but if you really wanted to learn the art of pro wrestling, I could steer you in the right direction. And that turned out to be Brutal Bob Evans. And I'm proud to say I was the first person that Bob Evans ever trained uh, back in the early 90s, 1992. And... Um, you know, he was just starting out himself as well. He was really, he was already trained and working around the local independent scene in the Seacoast area in Rhode Island and Massachusetts. 
but um, he he brought us all up to speed. We learned how to take bumps. We 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 learned the art of pro wrestling. And I also would say that um, I also spent a lot of time in Killer Kowalski's wrestling school after I was already trained. So I was what would be considered a cousin of Kowalski's, where a lot of the guys that were there, I was wrestling around on the independent shows around the New England area, and um, I was always welcomed up at Killer Kowalski's school, and and I I learned a lot. I learned a lot, probably more there than anywhere. Uh, with a gentleman by the name of Mike Hollow, who is still training wrestlers today. And, um, you know, um, Mike trained a lot of very famous wrestlers, uh, including Matt Bloom, who was the head trainer for WWE's. That's uh, 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 Prince Albert, right? Yeah, Prince Albert, who is okay. the head trainer at WWE right now. And, and you know, one thing that I'm, I think is, this is getting a little off topic, but I think it's great that WWE um, is run the, with the Kowalski way in, in the school because anybody that's coming through that match training is going to learn the Kowalski way. So that's more of an old school kind of style. I mean, I'm sure there's some some new stuff in there as well, but but you know, really more the basics. They're going to learn how to take bumps. They're going to they're going to learn psychology. They're going to learn promos, all that stuff, right? Yeah, I, I mean, when I started out. You, there were no training centers. There were no developmental territories. There was nothing like that. You just showed up at shows and you said you had your gear and you asked them if they could put you on the show. And that's the way it went for me for the entire time I was in wrestling. The way it works now, I honestly am not the right person to be asking that to because I've never been to the performance center. I've never, you know, and only things I, I would know about it I've seen on television, but I know it's become it's similar to minor league baseball where they, you know, they they'd go up through the ranks there and um, it's much safer. And there's obviously a lot more opportunity. The only thing I would say that that I would, it also seems like it's I am a robot kind of wrestling too. It seems like everybody's the same. It's very cookie cookie cutter, and um, that, that's why I like AEW so much because they're just letting people go in there and and wrestle and be professional wrestlers, and they're not scripting anything. You know, it's just how it used to be. That that's one thing that always like when you watch the current WWE. To me, it's kind of like. It's like on an assembly line. They, you know, they churn these people out, and like they, they, everybody does it the WWE way. There's no, there's not a whole lot of room for individuality. At least that's my my you know opinion of it. From what I'm seeing, uh, no one has any input. They do exactly what they're told. Everything is scripted, and from what I understand, they even rehearse the matches, uh, which was something we never did. I would go into a wrestling match. I would a lot of the times be meeting the person I was wrestling five minutes beforehand in the locker room and we would talk about what we were going to do and if you were trained properly you went out there and you pulled it off and it looked really good right that's Not actually i'm sorry go ahead no i was going to say <clears throat> excuse me uh you talk about rehearsing uh we we've mentioned before on the show like this some of the some of the the storylines of the past and different things that was something that uh uh Diamond Dallas Page was famous for was literally a a spot for spot moment for moment script like here's how a, every match is going to go down and when he tried to take that with him to the WWE a lot of those the the guys from the 90s you know your your Undertaker and Austin and all them that were like get that shit out of here because they still worked the Booker style of you know call it in the ring versus the like you said the modern rehearsed matches and unfortunately you see that with uh uh some of the criticisms we've had talking about the modern product is that, you know, you, you see these matches and you might have five or six matches on the card and three or four of the matches are almost identical, like talents, interchangeable moments are interchangeable. And it's, it's rough to see kind of the growing pains that some people go through. That's exactly right, Dan. I agree with you completely. You know, you talked about, uh, 
kind of getting into the business and and the way it was coming in and coming up um we were talking before the show one of the the stories in your book was about when you were you were uh, nwa tag champion at the time visiting the, a hospital and the story talks about you and your mom and she you said she really wasn't really keen on you being in wrestling but that's kind of what made that story more heartwarming as she wanted you to do more i wanted you Kind of share that story with everybody. Well, first of all, anything that I ever did in the NWA or really anything that I ever did in wrestling was all thanks to a guy by the name of the Boston bad boy, Tony Rumble. Tony was my manager and my friend, and he took me under his wing very early on in my career, and he made it possible for me to travel to Japan, to be in a WWF ring, a WCW ring, the USWA in Memphis. Anywhere that I ever went was all because of Tony. And one of the things that he also was involved in was putting me in a position to win the NWA World Tag Team titles. And when we won the titles, um, I was home one morning on Christmas morning, and my parents, it wasn't just my mom, my parents were not wrestling fans at all. Not then, not now, not ever. It just wasn't something that they were interested in. And the reason my mother was so turned off from wrestling was she came to one of my first matches and there was a match that was, after, I was the first match on the show. So after me, um, a wrestler uh, cut his head open and it was really bad. And when you're not desensitized to it like we are as wrestling fans, it's a shocking thing. And she was like mortified. She was beyond mortified. She was, from what I heard, she was standing up saying, stop this, stop this, this is crazy. She just was not ever gonna like wrestling. But when I had a friend, I actually my cousin asked me if I would go visit someone at the, the Hasbro Children's Hospital in Providence, Rhode Island on Christmas morning. And my mom wanted to come and I brought the belt with me. And when I took the belt out of the bag, the kid's reaction was so, it was just, beautiful he just you know it was like he was in the middle of a blood transfusion and he sat up in the bed and the nurse said you need to stay still what are you doing and the kid said but he's got the belt and she said wow she said well you got a point there and my mother <laughs> looked at me and she said we're going to go to some more rooms and she just because of that reaction and i went to a bunch of rooms uh every, pretty much every room on the floor we were there for hours and um the Kids that didn't even follow wrestling and didn't even know anything about it were just absolutely in love with the belt. Everyone took Polaroids with it, and it was it was a wonderful experience. And I think my mom walked away from that saying, well, at least something good came out of this nonsense. Did that, like, change your mind a little bit, maybe? Or, like, as, as time went on during your career, did she kind of soften up a bit, or was she, was she always pretty much against it? Well, she, you know, if I would... Uh, I don't know if a picture was in a wrestling magazine or I would pop up on television uh, when, you know, from time to time, uh, she would watch it and she would ask me if she, if, you know, I could get her a copy of the magazine. She wanted to keep it and show it to her friends, but it was something that it just wasn't fundamentally in her wheelhouse. My mother was into community theater and she sold real estate and she was a very nice woman. She passed away six years ago, but she was not, ever gonna like wrestling it just wasn't her thing you know so i think it um there were moments where she warmed up a little bit but to say that she was ever you know my my family never came and watched me wrestle like when i i would go to wrestling shows being in wwf and i would see people's entire families with signs in the in in the crowd and you know that that just wasn't uh that just wasn't ever happening in my family but that's okay that that's just the way it was yeah 
So we're we're uh, very big supporters of indie wrestling. We you know that it, to me indie wrestling is the lifeblood of professional wrestling, and you know a lot of people and you know especially the younger people I think their sole reference point is watching what they see on on Monday and Friday nights Raw and SmackDown, and they, I think they have the impression a lot of them have the impression that you know these these wrestlers are they're wealthy and they live in op they you know they live a very opulent lifestyle they're millionaires <laughs> and. You know, you talk in your book about when you when you were working with indie promoters, some of these guys wanted you to wrestle just for them. But it wasn't like they were wrestling, you know, working you four or five days a week. You know, they're working you maybe once or twice a month and with a very, very minimal payoff. So I, I, talk about your life with, you know, with promoters and, and you know, how was that realistic? Were you able to deal with that? Well, it would depend on who it was. Someone like Tony Rumble, I came to Tony with every opportunity I ever had. And if he asked me not to wrestle for a specific person, whatever his reason was, I would just grin and bear it. I did not, I never questioned him about it. I never, he, there were times when he would say to me, uh, yeah, you can do it, but wear a mask. And I would say, well, they, they want Knuckles Nelson. And he was like, well, you know, this is what I'm asking you to do. So I would either not do the show or I would wear a mask. And the promoter would be like, I, I thought I was booking Knuckles Nelson here. You know, like I had maybe had been on Monday Nitro the night before, the the week before, and now they're getting someone from TV to come to their show. And I'm showing up with a mask. But it was because Tony asked me to do it. And Tony, like I said, made everything possible for me, everything. So there was no way I was ever going to go against whatever he wanted to do. But there were also other promoters that um if they if i was going to work for them um you know if they were thinking that i would not go back and work for tony because i came and worked a shot for them that was never going to happen either it was it was a different time back then and i remember before meeting tony i would tell people yes i'll only wrestle for you and then i would do whatever i want that was the way i dealt with it and um some of them would have me back some of them wouldn't it would just be a matter of it was just, you know, kind of um, the, the whole point is to wrestle as often as possible. It's not about money at that level. And just to get as much in-ring time in front yeah. of a crowd as possible. So, um, you know, it, it seems like, you know, that that carried on for, for years. And it's, you know, I don't know. All I know is as far as today goes from what I'm seeing, because I'm back into wrestling right now, um, pretty uh, I'm paying attention to it quite a bit. And I think it's a great time for wrestling. It's just a, an incredible time right now in 2021 to be a wrestling fan or to be a wrestler. Now, are you talking, uh, Knuckles, about the, you know, the current product? Are you talking about, like, in, more indie wrestling in 2021? I mean, all of it. it, it you know, the, uh, even WWE. Like, I, I mean, I, yes, in, independent wrestling. Um, the XWA was a promotion here in Rhode Island that I went to, and I was just floored by their, their production value and how, the people that had had performed there in the past and the matches that I was watching and the whole presentation of the thing. Um, so, you know, the, the independent scene, you know, is alive and well up, you know, everywhere. It just seems like it's a great time for indie wrestling all the way up to, you know, all the major promotions. And I really, I just want to mention it really quick that I did happen to see uh, Charlotte Flair and Nia last night. And that was one of the coolest things I've seen in a long time. I you just know, love I love Nia. I love Charlotte too, but that was like that was that was some good stuff. I'm glad you're saying that because you know you you go on Facebook and you know it seems like at least to my perception you have to either like AEW or you have to like WWE. You and you can't like both. And I was tell I think I told the story either last week or the week before that when I first started watching wrestling it was in the the late 60s early 70s. 
Now, there was a, a station in New Jersey, um, WNJU Channel 47, that carried Lucha Libra, which was capital wrestling from uh, Washington, D.C. About three or four years later, I started see, uh, Channel 41 from Patterson started carrying uh, NWA Hollywood. So that was like Fred Blassie, John Tolos, uh, Jabba Rook, Black Gordman. And then, you know, a couple of years later, we got cable. Now, I'm got, now I have uh, Gordon Soley, Championship Wrestling from Florida, Kevin Sullivan, Bob Roop. You know, and then uh, the Georgia Championship Wrestling. I, I never, ever thought, like, well, I got to choose one. To me, it's like, bring it on, like, the more the merrier. You know, like, I, I couldn't get enough of wrestling. So you know, I, I never felt the need to choose. But for some reason, people seem to, like, it's very polarizing. Now, you have to like one or the other. So I'm so glad to hear you say that. Oh, the, the the lines are drawn in the sands today for sure. AEW likes AEW, WWE likes WWE. But um, that's that's pretty cool what you just said about all those different promotions and that you were seeing back in the day. Like back, you know, back in those times that you're talking about, we got WWWF and that was it in the Northeast. I, I, I couldn't get enough. I mean, like growing up as a kid, my team was the Yankees. I mean, somebody said, you know, whoever they liked. It's like, well, my team is the Yankees, but like, you know, I, I baseball was team specific, but wrestling was wrestling. It, I didn't care who was wrestling, and I thought, I, I to me, it was a blast because you know the way they wrestled in Florida. You know, with you know Gordon Soley calling it a souple. It was so much different than you know watching Bugsy McGraw in the WWF. But like, I I thought it was great. Like all these different styles and these different wrestlers, and it just I, I don't know why you can't still love both. But it sounds like you you like both, which is great. I, I find myself um, on YouTube a lot, and I, I find I've been watching everything. I'm so blown away by the talent in AEW and the wrestlers, and then I go and see what they were doing before. And, you know, I've um, I, I've stayed in touch with Bob Evans all these years. So, like, you know, I watch Ring of Honor. Um, I, I watch all of it. And anything anything that, that, you know, if it holds my attention, I'll watch it. If I don't, I'll move on to the next thing. But I'm very impressed with, like, you know, the quality of wrestling. The kids today are doing things that we weren't even thinking about. And it seems like they're still just scratching the surface. Like, there's so much more. You know, sometimes it looks a little ridiculous. But, you know, they, they're they not afraid to take chances. And, and uh, yeah, like, just to me, I, I, when I left wrestling, I was bitter for a long time. But after I wrote my book and I got a lot of my secrets out and I have no secrets left in my life, I found myself and also getting uh, getting to, to, you know, when I when you mentioned about Jimmy Valiant, getting to meet Jimmy Valiant and having having a relationship and a friendship with him was um, really uh, brought me back into watching wrestling, too. Nice. You know, um, you, you talk about the current product, something we mentioned on on I think it was the last show or the week before with the uh with the nwa coming back with uh you know they had shut down their their operations during covid and now that they're running again they've got the contract with fight uh fight tv they just ran a pay-per-view the other day we're recording this on the 31st august i think it was 28th um empower which was an all women's pay-per-view you you rent you mentioned the uh nia jacks charlotte flair match if anybody gets a chance to look that up the that's not just great to see the NWA back and good quality, but an all women's event just shows how far they've come there. But well, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Having the, uh, first of all, having it in St. Louis and having it in the venue that they did, I actually watched both of those shows because someone posted them on YouTube and I sat and watched both of them. Uh, the I was so impressed with the quality of wrestling and 
One of the things that I also love about watching wrestling today is seeing people that started out with me. After my time in the ring, I was a promoter, trainer, and I had a wrestling school, and I ran uh, uh, shows under a promotion called Wrestling Star Wars in tribute to world-class championship wrestling, and Velvet Sky started out with me. Her name was Talia back then. Eddie Edwards started out with me. Um, you know, there, there's, there's, it's really cool to see these people. But the, um, the, the NWA weekend, um, I think that, I think that the wrestling was outstanding. I think the announcers needed a lot to be, uh, a lot to be desired. It, the, it, a, a good announcer really adds to a wrestling match, and some of it was, um, you know, more difficult to watch because of the announcing. And if you said, "Well, do you think you can do better, Knuckles?" Yes, I think I could. But the, um, because it was pretty bad, the announcing. But the. Um, the thing that there's one thing that I'd like to mention about that Empower pay-per-view, empowering women, all these women are great, outstanding wrestlers. And what does this Tom Latimer have to jump over the barricade at the end of the thing and walk Camille and slap her on the ass as she's walking up the aisle and say, this is all mine? How is that empowering women? I thought that was just horrible that he did that. I'm sure he just is doing what he does. But um, I, I think Camille has a, a, a good chance to be, you know, the future of women's wrestling, if, if you know, if, if she keeps going in the right direction. I agree. I think she's going to be one of the, you know, if not the next big thing, one of one of the, you know, superstars uh, as far as women's wrestler. Yeah, it would have to be her, Jade Cargill, these these girls. And, and you know, the a girl like Naya, too. She's not going anywhere. There's just women's wrestling has come so far. They're, they're, they're so in a lot of ways, they're better than men. They're, they're incredible wrestlers. But I also, you know, watch the. Uh, the um, 71st, the 73rd anniversary show, I wrestled on the, the 50th and the 51st anniversary shows. Uh, the first one was in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. That was when we won the NWA World Tag Team titles the first time. And we wrestled on the second one in Charlotte, North Carolina at the Grady Cole Center, and we dropped the belts there. So um, it was good to see. It was hard to believe it's 73 years. but um, And it was pretty cool to see Trevor Murdoch win the NWA World Championship in his hometown. I thought that was great because I mean he's like the the, the you know the true underdog, um, but I, I think it was nice that they gave the guy the belt. I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that it was you know just his loyalty of hanging in there, and also the fact that he was trained by Harley Race. And I think I, I like the fact that the NWA is still trying to keep up with that tradition. Yeah, I, I agree. And you know it's it's funny you talk um, announcing quality. I know he left for less than less than perfect public reasons but when when nwa first started running power back in 2019 i i liked the pairing of of galley with jim Cornette. i thought that had a very old it reminded me of the the shows i watched as a kid like the you know the 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 obvi the hard there was only the crowd behind the hard cam it was clearly filmed for tv maybe 50 people in the building you know those kind of those kind of tv shows um but it's nice to see the, the advancement and the move-ins, move-ons and all. Um, I want to kind of circle back, though, something that got me thinking when you were talking about uh, how, how everything grows and changes. Benny asked you a question about certain promoters. When we started this show, we spun off. I got into the podcasting on the wrestling side. Uh, a good friend of mine was was part of this, uh, Jeff the Ref. You'll, you'll hear us talk about him frequently. And when he passed away, I took I kind of took the mantle of, of for, for his side, keep his dream alive. Um, he used to tell a story about it, a show he did where the promoter, I guess they, they ran out of money or overpromised 
and ended up trying to pay some of the some of the talent and some of the people involved in the the only thing he had which were those those subway bucks like the the coupons that are only good you know the the subway dollars or whatever they were called and i'm curious if you have any fun or unique or crazy i'm not asking you to name names or anything but any fun or unique or crazy stories of dealing with somebody who just clearly had no business trying to run a show yes i do and the, i could actually go on and on about this but the one that comes to mind when you were starting to tell us before i get into that the first thing i say i agree with you 100 you do not fire jim cornett over an off-color joke which was really no big deal they could have had cornett sitting there but um moving on to your question um, I wrestled one time in some town in Connecticut. I don't even remember the kid's name. Some kid that was running a show. He talked a lot about how, you know, they were going to have TV and they were going to do this and they were going to do that. And I used to tell people like that, well, just try to run one show. Why don't you run one show first before you start talking about your TV? And uh, when we got there, he had a hotel ballroom. I remember being in a hotel ballroom and I remember my girlfriend and my cousin and his girlfriend all coming and I wrestled. I believe it was Kevin Landry, and we had a great match. And when we went back to the locker room, the promoter said to me, I'm sorry, I don't have any money to pay you tonight because I have to pay the talent. And I'm standing there thinking to myself, that was the wrong thing to say to me because the only person that was on the show that had any name value was Tony Atlas. Everyone else was a local independent wrestler like me. And I remember taking my hand and putting it on the side of his head and pushing it up against the elevator and saying, you need to go find you an ATM and you're going to pay me right now because I just drove here from Rhode Island and I need that money to go get something to eat. And that was the truth. When I was wrestling on the independence, that was all I did. I was not capable. I was not a stable person back then. I was heavily involved in drugs and alcohol. I was crazy. I was totally out of my mind and I was wrestling um, to eat that night that money it was like i was from the friggin carney in the in, in the 30s you know like I, I i really needed that money badly so he reached into his pocket and he paid me wow <laughs> that's crazy and, and and then i learned also from tony rumble you always get your money up front you know, when you get there, just say to the guy, you know, I remember Abdullah the Butcher used to wrestle for Tony Rumble a lot. Tony, Abby would walk into the room and he would look at Tony and be like, hey, Abby, how's it going? He'd be like, where's my effing money? First words <laughs> I heard where's my effing money? And and that was the way it was, you know, and, and Tony would pay him. And, and so, like, I, you know, I went from Tony Rumble to WCW, WWF. I started wrestling on, in those kind of promotions, and that was – that was it. And then you didn't worry about that. That wasn't, you weren't worrying about it. I never went back to the independence after that. I started running my own shows and I was very fair with the people that wrestled for me until the end. And I, um, I, I paid everybody and I made sure everybody got a, a quality videotape of their match until the end. And in the end, things got a little, uh, a little hairy for me, but um, that was the one story that did come to mind about the, uh, the promoter trying to stiff me. That's funny. I like that that bit about the quality tape of the match. We've had more than one guest, and, and I've got all, for a lot of friends in the business that talk about these different moments. And you know, I, I had they had these great memories. I wish there was a, a tape of that match. I wish I could. You know, somebody was recording that night. Mm. So it's good to see that, even if it is just you know a small small guy sitting at ringside. Hell, the uh, 
one of the more popular shows we've done, Benny, since we started the show was with George Pontas, and he would sit at ringside uh, the Mid-Atlantic shows with his little handheld camera and some of the footage, the Battle of the Nature Boys and some of the famous matches. The only only recording of it is his home movies, That's which, amazing. Have, which have started showing up now with the expanded documentaries. Um, actually, I, I kind of want to get on something you just said a second ago. You talked about working in WCW and uh, WWE. Uh, from what I understand with the, with the stories, you're working with Tony Guerrero, and obviously you saw him, you mentioned earlier, wrestling Jimmy Valiant. Um, this led to your time in, w, I guess it was, would have been WWF, WWF. back then, um, the match with Razor Ramon and, and that moment. What was it like moving from, because you talked about the indies, the probably sleeping in a car, crummy hotels, you know, wrestling to eat, uh, to, for lack of a better term, the big leagues. What, what was that like? going into the WWF and all? Well, my first match in the WWF was against Razor Ramon the night after we won the Intercontinental title for the first time at the Westchester County Center in White Plains, New York. And the funny thing about it was um, I went to the Providence Civic Center a week or two earlier, and I told Tony Guerrilla that I was, you know, he knew what I wanted before I even opened my mouth. And uh, I told, he said, how long have you been wrestling? I said, five years. That was a lie. He said, who trained you? I said, Paul Roma. That was a lie. And he said, well, can you come to TV next week in White Plains, New York? So I went down to White Plains. In the beginning, he kind of like acted like he didn't tell me to come, but I insisted that he did. And then he finally um, asked me if I had a problem taking the razor's edge. And I said, no, I, you know, I'll take the razor's edge off the top of the building. I would have done anything. I was so <laughs> desperate to be in, in the, the ring. And um, he said, well, go find razor, introduce yourself. And um, I had 16 matches. I had no idea what I was doing. I had no business being in the WWF. And I'm wrestling a guy who had been wrestling since the 80s who had just won the Intercontinental title. And um, I didn't throw one punch. You know, the, back then, the squash matches where the, the opponent didn't get any offense at all. All I did was take all Razor's big moves, took the Razor's edge, and, you know, was driving home in the car after that. But Tony Guerrilla was a really cool guy. And, and and I knew right then and there that I really needed to get more experience before I'd be ready for that level. So I went back to the independence for years before I ever had an opportunity. And we mentioned Jim Cornette and Jim Cornette was the guy. Um, Tony Rumble had these shows in the Century Wrestling Alliance where Kevin Sullivan and Jim Cornette would be in the locker room. And this was not common back then where you would have guys from WWF and WCW in the same locker room at the same time. And they would be their scouting talent and promoting people, elevating them to the next level of wrestling on the spot. That's how it went. There was no there was no um, development. There was no performance center. I remember Rick Fuller was in the ring, and Kevin Sullivan standing next to me saying, who is that? And I said, that's Rick Fuller. And Rick Fuller powerbombed this guy, and, and Kevin Sullivan went up to him after the match, and Rick Fuller was in WCW for a couple of years after that. I mean, he was um, – that's the way it went back then. And when I was in – so when I went back to WWF, it was through Jim Cornette and Tony Guerrero remembered me. Um, and he was, uh, he Tony Guerrero is a great guy. He was always very, you know, he knows that his guys, the, the enhancement talent that's going to be, they're there to get their asses kicked. And, you know, he he is very, um, he, you know, he just always made me feel at home. He, he was very, very nice guy. And, um, you know, uh, I, I can't think of one bad thing to say about Tony Guerrero or anyone around the WWF. The second time around, it was a really cool experience. I saw your match against uh, Big Boss Man. Actually, I thought it was pretty good. You did get a little bit of offense in. Yeah, the Big Boss Man, um, 
you know, this this was so long ago now. What I remember about wrestling the big boss man was we had this whole match set up and he was giving me all this offense. And I was just like, this is crazy. I can't believe I'm going to get to do all this. As we're about to walk through the curtain, he looked at me. He said, we're short on time. Forget about everything I said. <laughs> and sent me out to the ring. And I ended up getting handcuffed to the ring and the nightstick and the whole whole deal. But, uh, you know, a, 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 a true wrestling legend. When I look back on it now, I felt like I belonged there. But these guys had all been wrestling since the 80s, and I was really new. I, I only had a few years' experience under my belt. You get a guy like Big Bubba, Scott Hall, um, Kurt Henning, you know, all these guys, Brett, you know, all, all those guys were like wrestling, Shawn Michaels, for, forever. You know, they had been wrestling for years and years and years. And the, the only way you can get to be that good is the years and years and years in the ring. You know, I don't care how good of, of ability you have. It's it's the actual in ring time over a period of decades where you become where you don't have to talk about anything. You can just go out there and wrestle a guy like Steamboat and Flair used to. But at least you made it though. I mean, it's like you know, you, you getting called up to the Yankees, and you know, in September, you know, you get you get to play in ten fifteen games. At least you can say, you know, I was there, which I think is phenomenal. The when I when I broke into wrestling, um, I I knew I was going to be doing this for a long time. And when I look back on it now, I was too old to be getting in. I was slow. Um, I would have made a great wrestler in the 70s. I had a big chest, big arms, big mouth, big gut. I would have been great in the 70s. And, um, but that it wasn't the 70s. So I look at it now as I was just lucky to have been there and you know to have won the NWA World Tag Team titles and to have traveled to Japan and to have wrestled you know, people like Ken Shamrock and the Headbangers and the Dudleys and um, Too Cold Scorpio and the Giant when he was in WCW. And, you know, I could go on and on. I had a lot of matches against, um, you know, really quality opponents. I was very fortunate to have ever, um, you know, to have gotten to where I was because I was not second generation and I really had limited athletic ability. I was just lucky to have been there at all. But you made it to Japan, what, three times? How was that? Yes. And, uh, is I guess the last time you didn't get your payoff because the guy skipped town. Is that if I remember correct? <laughs> That's correct. The, uh, the the way I the way I was able to get to go to Japan was through the Yamaguchis. Shun Yamaguchi, who is now on the broadcast team for WWE, was a photographer, and so was his brother Wally. So those guys were photographers in, in years ago, and Wally ended up obviously becoming a very famous wrestling personality as the leader of Kai and Tai. And uh, Wally uh, Chung called me up one night and he said, do you want to go to Japan? It's getting busy over there and they want the NWA Tag Team Champions. So really the belts were going. And we went over there and the NWA was very different in Japan than it was here. In the 90s, it had taken a real downward spiral when WCW broke away from the NWA. In Japan, it still had the same exact respect. There were people at the airport with signs. It was crazy. It was so cool. And we were wrestling... Um, every night in different towns and um i started going back and then i went back a second time and the third time that i went back the houses were really low there, there was hardly anyone in the crowds they were, they were like independent shows here and on the last night of the tour the promoter 
um, skipped out on us and didn't pay any of us. We had our round trip plane tickets. We had a bus driver who he wanted to get paid too. And now we're in this like adventure where we don't even know if we're going to, I have no idea where I am. I have no idea. The night before was a night of heavy drinking. We were all like, what, where's there's not, you know, we didn't care about not getting paid. We just wanted to get home at this point. Right. There were guys going to Australia. There were guys going to England. There were guys going to Korea. There were, you know, us going to America. And it was, um, you know, it, it was, I never really, we were with Barry Darso, Wild Bill Irwin, Derek Dukes, uh, known wrestlers. And these guys were very, very, um, they easily could have kept to themselves and just like big league dust, but they didn't. They took us under their wing and they showed us how to behave in Japan and how to, how to get by over there and how to stay out of trouble. So I never really, we never really felt like nervous. You know, I, I knew we were going to get home safe and, you know, yeah, we you know, we never paid to go to Japan. I never paid for a hotel. I never paid for these tours. I never paid for any of it. So it wasn't like I was in all Japan or New Japan over there making $10,000 a week. But um, again, like I said, I was lucky to have been there in the first place. And my experiences in Japan were phenomenal. You know, I could I could imagine being stranded in Akron. You know, with, with, <laughs> but halfway across the world, man, that's that's pretty, pretty daunting experience. But at least you survived it. Um, so... Uh, Knuckles, you mentioned and you already spoke about him, but in the book, I mean, I could just tell when you talked about Tony Rumble, the obvious love and affection you had for the man. And it seems like, you know, unlike most promoters, I mean, it seemed like he put you first. He put like he watched out for you instead of watching out for his promotion. Um, if you could tell us a little bit more about him, I think it was called the Boston Bad Boy, like you said. The Boston Bad Boy, Tony Rumble, is... Um you know, he is beloved in the in the New England area. Um, during the 90s, you wanted to wrestle for Tony Rumble because his shows, you would go from being an independent wrestler wrestling in front of 50 people to 5,000 people in a football stadium on one of Tony's shows because Tony did what were called sold shows where he would sell these fundraisers to organizations and they would pay him say $10,000, and that would give him a budget to bring in big name wrestlers. And he would surround them with independent wrestlers. And now we're wrestling in front of WWF crowds. Um, so these were like really big shows. And like I said, Kevin Sullivan and Jim Cornette would be the scouting talent. And the locker room was like a who's who. I mean, besides the two I just mentioned, Abdul the Butcher, um, uh, Jerry Lawler, Sabu, Tommy Dreamer, Taz, a lot of ECW guys. We feuded... I was in a tag team called The Brotherhood, myself and Eric Sprasia, and we feuded with um, the public enemy all over the country. Tony was getting us booked all over the place wrestling the public enemy. We even uh, exchanged the belts at one point. We dropped the belts in them and then won them back. Um, so his shows were really, um, they were great, great shows for like, you know, then you'd go to your next show and there'd be like 25, the wrestlers, families and friends in the crowd. It was just a very different experience for independent wrestling. And the thing about Tony that I that that comes to mind that I'd like to share is that the way he treated people, Tony treated everybody, he treated everybody so well. Like there were the guys on the show that I would be like, why do you got this guy on the show? He sucks. He can't wrestle. And he would be like, um, that's you in the WWF. That's what people think of you. So don't talk about him like that. And he really opened my eyes to, you know, you never know who's going to make it. I remember a, a kid being around wrestling shows and trying to. Um, 
wanting to get on the show and wanting to be involved in it. And he ended up becoming a, a wrestler named Scotty Tuhati. Like this kid went on to be a Scott huge Keller, star yeah. in wrestling. Absolutely. And, you know, he was just a, a kid from Maine that got into wrestling, you know. And um, so Tony taught me, even though I didn't learn it until a lot later in life, how to treat people. And, and he, there was one time where the NWA New England Championship was um, a pretty – a pretty prestigious belt at the time in the New England area. And Tony took one of the lesser, most less, not as talented as the other wrestlers, and he put the belt on him to show that anybody can be the champion. That says, he wanted us to stop acting like the belt. He wanted us to stop being marks. He wanted us to stop acting like the belt meant something. It was just, Tony used to say that a wrestling belt only makes your suitcase heavier. That's all it is. It's got nothing to do with... Um, you know, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's a prop. And so, um, I learned the ins and outs of wrestling from him and Tony as a wrestler, his first match was against Bruiser Brody. His second match was against superstar Billy Graham in, in, uh, the Savoldi's ICW. So, you know, Tony never really made it to the big time, but he's kind of like a cult hero. Like everybody knew Tony Rumble, every show I ever went to everyone, every major star in wrestling would seek him out and talk to him and, and, and make a point to say hello to him because Tony was really respected in the wrestling world. That's also awesome. a great story. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. You know, um, moving, moving on when you, from, from that, you, you told the story or let me rephrase that. Uh, you told the story and moving on from, from your time with them, uh, you mentioned like the combat zone and star Wars wrestling, uh, some of the other organizations that you've worked with. Um, <laughs> Benny had mentioned something I wanted to hope, hoping you could expand on your, uh, your life at Salisbury beach. Salisbury beach is a carny town that looks like it was lost in 1970. It was just, it's, it, it's a great, it was a very, it was a great place that had a, a building called the Frolics where wrestling was used to run dating back to the sixties and maybe even earlier than that. And then there was a small, um, wrestling promotion in a place called Champ Serena, and it, and I wrestled there, and it was a very frustrating experience because the person that was running the show really d didn't have a good business head on his shoulders. That went out of business, and I ended up staying there. I lived there for nine years, and I had an opportunity to bring wrestling back to um, Salisbury Beach, and Salisbury Beach was a wrestling town. It was a, a place where when you have a carnival atmosphere and you have amusement parks and bumper cars and batting cages and pizza stands and bars all over the place. And you're able to run wrestling there. People will come. And I was able to, um, on a zero budget, get my hands on a ring chairs and a building where I was able to set up my operation. <clears throat> we had a weekly television show called this week in wrestling. We did 102 episodes. A lot of them are on YouTube. Um, I mentioned earlier, people that are in the wrestling world today started out with me, like Eddie Edwards and Velvet Sky and Dylan Cage and Ron Zombie wrestled there and Fred the Rocket Curry and um, uh, Tito Santana came in for us and Tony Atlas. And um, it was, uh, it, it, while it lasted, it was good. I ran there for a couple of years and um, uh, I was just in the right place at the right time a lot in wrestling. And when it came time to do this, wrestling school and wrestling promotion it was also the right place at the right time because everything just fell into place and uh, while it lasted it was a really great experience was that when you met uh john cena senior aka johnny fabulous 
Yes. Um, one night we were down, I don't know, we were down at the school because the, the, the building was called the Beach Club Pavilion. It was this massive building that roller skating used to actually be in it at one time. It was so big and you could put probably a thousand people in it. And that's just in the area where the wrestling was. And there was a whole area with video arcade games and um, a nightclub and everything. And so we were down there, I think, taping an episode of our TV show. And in walks this man. And I really, John Cena was still called the prototype then. He was not John Cena yet. And he said, um, I'd really like to get involved in this. And uh, and he, he said, my name is John Cena. And... Um, he started throwing himself on the ground saying, I'll take bumps. I'm not, you know, he was in his late sixties and he was like very enthusiastic and he was very interested in being involved. So like, I liked him right away. And, and, uh, and, uh, he ended up coming in and managing for me. And, um, I actually suggested the name John fabulous, the rock band, bad company had just come out with a song called Joe fabulous. And I said, that could be your ring music. And, uh, he showed up the next time in a suit and he had a briefcase with a dollar sign, somehow painted on it and uh johnny fabulous was born and uh he really enhanced the show a lot he was very um he was very animated you know he was really good talker and uh and then his son's career started to take off and one night john cena came to the show and he was john cena now and um no one knew who he was because he wore sweats and a ball cap and he just sat in the crowd he wanted to watch his father work if I remember right, in the book, like he actually insisted on paying for his own tickets, John Cena, you know, John Cena Jr., only because he just wanted. To... I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm, glad you, I'm glad you brought that up, Benny, because when you go to local wrestling shows, people constantly come to the door saying they want to get in because of who they are, and they got five people they want to bring into for free. They comped. They want to get comped, and um, when John Cena came, the guy on the door came back to me and said, um, "John Cena's out there." And I said, oh, cool. I said, give him his money back and tell him, you know, to enjoy the show. And he refused to take the money back. He said to go tell Knuckles that I support wrestling. And um, after that, when I go to wrestling, even to this day, when someone says, oh, you're all set, I still pay at the door because I just thought that was such a classy thing to do. Absolutely. It's awesome. So, um, Knuckles, for the last, what, 11 years, I guess, you've been working as a for the Rhode Island Public Transit Authority. Um, I worked for Pasco County government down here in Florida, uh, as a fiscal service manager. One of my departments was public transportation. Every once in a while I'd, I'd ride the bus and I got to tell you, you know, I really, I thought like I, I recommended pay raises for the drivers after I got off the bus. It was, you know, you'd see, I mean, you see people at their best, but, uh, you also see people at their worst. And was it, I mean, has it been similar for you? Yeah, uh, driving a bus for it's called Ripta. Rhode Public Transit is called Ripta. Has been, um, uh, it's been a crazy ride. I mean, it's it's just you never Literally. know what's going to happen. Not from day to day, from stop to stop. Every time you open that door, you just have no idea who's going to come on, how they're going to behave, if they have mental health issues, and um, it's been a it's been a wild ride. Um, but it also offers a lot of security and a pension and things that I was never going to have in wrestling. And a lot of times when I got out of wrestling, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I had no backup plan. I was really, I loved wrestling and still love it so much, but I was very fortunate that this came along. So I, you know, now I have something that is my bread and butter that I can do. Um, and you know, you kind of nailed it, Benny, what you just said of what public transportation is. You know, when I, 
and we'll we'll talk a little bit more about you know meeting Jimmy and everything. I met Jimmy you know a few weeks ago, and um, I because it was their their uh, birthdays, and um, I I bought them. Like, one of the gifts I got them was a movie called Serendipity. It's with John Cusack. It's one of my favorite movies. And the word serendipity just means things kind of just happen at the right place, at the right time, by pure chance. But they work out for for the good. And you know, the reason why I got it for Jimmy was because uh, he met Angel. I think it was at a Pulaski, Virginia Walmart. He was doing uh, an autograph signing. All of a sudden, he looks up and he sees this woman, and that was you know his future wife. And I think within he proposed to her within 15 minutes. I think he asked her like, "Are you married?" And she said no. And he said, "Well, do you want to be married?" And she said, "Well, you know, not right now, but I think they got married within a few months." And it just I thought about that word again because when I read your book, it just seems like things just kind of like seem to happen for you. It's just at the right time. Like when you needed a job, you were down to your last $3, I think, or when you were going to your meetings and somebody offered you a job landscaping uh, and you made some really good money with that. And then, you know, the job at public transportation it just seems like uh, opportunities seem to come your way. So I, I was wondering if you would comment on that. Yeah. You know, God takes care of idiots like me, you know, it's, it's just, um, I've always been in the right place at the right time. And I've been very fortunate with things like that. And the, uh, the experience of, um, everything that you just mentioned, um, a lot of it had to do with, um, when I, you know, I mentioned earlier, I had a lot of problem with drugs and alcohol and I was able to get sober in 2002 and stay sober to this day. And, um, that changed everything too, you know, just being able to like change my lifestyle in that way, open doors and, you know, my health improved and my mind came back and luckily and, um, you know, and, you know, everything leading right up to meeting Boogie, to meeting Jimmy Valiant, um, what was all, um, serendipity as you would, as you put it. And that, that is a great movie. And the, um, you know, the, the whole experience of just having faith and, and going from not having faith to having faith also can, can help a person a lot. And it helped me tremendously. So awesome. I, I have to be, hopefully we don't run out of time here, but I wanted to make sure I got that in this in rather uh, three years ago, you rode a motorcycle from, was it Middletown, Rhode Island to yes. Shawsville, Virginia. And I, I think I mentioned on one of the, you know, the last couple of podcasts because I drove there um, and you said the same thing in your book that I said, you, you, how you get there is you set your GPS to the middle of nowhere. And then once you get there, then you drive another hundred miles and you're in Shawsville. But somehow you you made you made the trip in two days. I think you stopped in Richmond uh, overnight the first night, and um, then you you know you were there the next day, and you had a specific question for Jimmy, and you used the same word, and I, and I was like really stunned when you you used the word beloved when you described Jimmy Valiant, and when I wrote my story about Jimmy for uh, pro wrestling stories, you know he's got all these nicknames. He's gentleman Jimmy Valiant, handsome Jimmy Valiant. Boogie Woogie Man. And I use that exact same word. I use the word beloved because you just you can't meet that guy and not love him. It's impossible. If you if you meet Jimmy Valiant, you don't love him. You need to be checked out. You there's there's something wrong with you. He's just that great of a guy and he's just so sincere. And um, so if you can tell the listeners about what you what you wanted to talk to him about, that you drove all the way from Middletown, Rhode Island, to Shrewsbury, Virginia, in a, on a motorcycle, which it happened to rain on the way there, too, right? Yeah. The um, 
a lot of people know this story now, but for the people that don't know, in 2018, I was really not doing very well in life. I was having a lot of problems. I had been sober for a long time, but I was still having a lot of mental health issues. I just wasn't a happy person in life. And I met him briefly at the New England Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame in East Providence, Rhode Island, but it was very brief. He was in and out of the building that night, but he said to me and everyone else in attendance that night, you should come visit my wrestling camp in Virginia. It's called Bookie's Wrestling Camp Hall of Fame and Museum in Shawsville, Virginia on Allegheny Springs Road. So I called my buddy Jeff Katz, who's my partner in crime, and Jeff is a pretty well-known uh, talk radio host and uh, all around the country. And he's on WRVA in Richmond. And I said, I'm going to be going down to Shawsville. Would you like to come? And he said, of course I would, because he loved the Valiant Brothers too. So I ended up going down there and um, unannounced. He did not know I was coming. And um, then I found out when we were on our way down there that he, his wife knew that we were coming because Jeff had called. He had been a guest on Jeff's show several times. So um, when we, when we got there, uh, I, I decided to take my motorcycle because I'm a motorcycle enthusiast. And I took my 1998 Harley Davidson Electroglide from here to Richmond, from here is Rhode Island. And from Richmond, uh, Jeff said, are you going to jump in the car with me? I said, no, I got to make this trip to, on my bike because oh, absolutely, yeah. Boogie's a biker. And uh, he'll, he'll, you know, I want to wish him a birthday and tell him I drove all the way from Rhode Island. And I wanted to ask him uh, what his you know, what was his philosophy on life? Like, how do you know the, the next right thing to do in life? How do you know it's the right decision? And I asked him this question, and you've been there, Benny, so you know wrestling practice is surging on all around us. There's people everywhere. And um, he just stopped and talked to me right there on the spot. He didn't have to do this. He didn't have to say anything to me. He could have just um, said, well, it was nice to come down and, you know, uh, uh, to come down and visit the camp. But instead, it started a very long friendship. And, um in fact, the experience I had with him was so amazing that I, I wrote a book about it, you know, waking up from the wrestling ring to the yoga mat, and uh, it's available on Amazon, and it, it changed my whole um, perspective on life. Everything changed uh, once I became friends with Boogie. We had a, um, we, we talked frequently, and, um, you know, he his, his biggest message to me was, forgive everybody for everything you perceive that they've ever done to you in life. And um, it doesn't mean they're going to forgive you, but you forgive them and everything else will fall into place. And I started doing that and it it really worked. You know, it, it really did. And it, it changed my whole outlook on life. And um, and this past year I, and after that, I started going every year on his birthday and to graduation for for the camp um, because I, I consider it a magical place. Like any wrestling fan or wrestler who has never been there, I highly recommend going because it's a little slice of wrestling history in this out-of-the-way town of Shoresville, Virginia, right outside of Roanoke. And uh, this last year, as Benny knows, because he was there, um, I, I presented him with a, a beautiful replica of the oh WWF tag team title belt because I noticed he didn't have one at the camp. And Dave Milliken, a legendary belt maker in Tennessee, built this beautiful replica on alligator on crocodile leather and um i really surprised boogie and and um presented him with that belt and just furthering our um our friendship and and there's a video of that on youtube where i present him with the belt if you just google or um put, go on youtube and put jimmy valiant and it'll come up and he was um, genuinely like i don't even know the right word like taken aback he was like elated ecstatic he, he just, he just away, loved yeah. that i was i loved seeing that i mean i was probably 10 feet away I was so glad I was there for that. Well, as you know, I, I said at the end of it that the belt has been 
has come home to its rightful owner. And I really feel like everyone in attendance and everyone that watched the video later, I mean, uh, on, I put it on Facebook and, and almost 4,000 people had watched it in one day. And, um, you know, the belt had come home to its rightful owner. You know, Jimmy Valiant was a trailblazer in wrestling. He ended up becoming a personal friend of mine who has helped me tremendously in life. Um, but aside from that, he's also one of the greatest pro wrestlers of all time. For a guy that only had three moves, you know, he really didn't do much in the ring. But he had this natural ability and charisma that you just can't teach. You know, you just can't teach it, you know. Um, and, and, um, and, you know, I love the guy like a second father. The, the Valiant brothers are one of the, I think, one of the greatest tag teams ever and one of the most underrated tag teams. They don't get their just due. I mean, they they were uh, they were WWF tag team champions for a year, but they held belts all over the country. Uh, the WWA in Indianapolis, I think they were they won that one three or four times. They won titles out in San Francisco, down in Florida. They won them everywhere. That you know, the people talk about the Road Warriors and the Midnight Express, all great teams. But the Valiant Brothers, they got to be on the Mount Rushmore uh, of great tag teams, I think. And you know, getting back to BWC, you know, I, to me, like I, one of my, actually my favorite movie is Field of Dreams. You know, yeah. a baseball field in the middle of nowhere in, in Dyersville, Iowa, where, you know, in the movie, you know, dreams come true. And I think there's a lot of parallels to the BWC. It's in the middle. I mean, it is literally in the middle of nowhere. I, I said when I got there, I said, this is God's country because only God and Jimmy Valiant know where it is. And, um, but it's the same thing, you know, you go there and like wrestlers dreams are coming true. And these, these kids, I mean, you know, and some of them weren't even, they were in kids are a little bit older. They're putting their heart and soul in this. It was just so great just to watch these people, you know, chasing their dream and you know jimmy and angel they like like brendan said they go out of their way if you leave there feeling and correct me if i'm wrong you leave there feeling you're a part of their family and you're not only just you know you weren't just a visitor now you're you're welcome for life and um so i i, I definitely plan on going back i won't be able to make it for the graduation but uh and i, I want to put in a quick you know plug for the, the graduation is september the 12th uh, in Shawsville, Virginia. I think it's it's Sunday from 12 to 4. If you are anywhere remotely close to Shawsville, Virginia, it, it's worth the drive. I mean, it, not only watching the matches, meeting Jimmy, you know, watching these guys, you know, train, practice, and the, the grounds, the grounds are phenomenal. The museum, there's so many, there's thousands of pictures and souvenirs and things like that. It is, it's like wrestling heaven to me. Well, you, you covered it all right there, my friend. And the thing that I would add to that, and there's not much to add to what you just said, is that um, BWC, this wrestling schools are usually sink or swim. You really have to be able to survive. And some there, there were schools back in the day that would actually um, beat the crap out of you so they, that you would quit if they didn't if they didn't think you had what it took. BWC is run on a whole different philosophy. It's a loving environment. Everyone that comes there is welcome. Like you said, that they are... They are um, welcomed and they feel like family as soon as they left. I felt that way, you felt that way, and countless others have felt that way. And September 12th, I would be remiss if I did not mention that there will be an infamous appearance of the Valiant Sisters at the graduation on oh, September 12th. Yeah, Precious Valiant and Lisa Valiant, two beautiful Valiant Sisters, will be there live on September 12th. And that's reason enough just to go down to, to meet the Valiant They're worth sisters. the price of admission, which the admission is nothing, actually, though. Everything's free. There's, there's, you know, there's, 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 it's a great day. If you are a wrestling person, 
you you can spend hours just touring the five buildings on the, on the campus. There's plenty to do. There'll be a free wrestling show that day, and you get to meet one of the greatest wrestlers in the history of professional wrestling, Handsome Jimmy, the Boogie Woogie Man Valiant. And, and not only do you meet him, he, he makes you feel like you count. <laughs> you just you're taking the words right out of my mouth, brother. When I went there the first time, I when I he listened to me. He really listened. I had some big. I was going through divorce. I was going through so having suicidal thoughts. I was not doing well in life. And he talked me off the off the cliff, man. He brought me back. He 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 spent time with me the entire time we were there. I could call him anytime. I could message him anytime, and he and he was available to me. And I don't think it's exclusive to me. I think he just he picked up a philosophy of life where he gives back. He's giving back, and a lot of people don't give back when they walk away. Nobody gives back to the wrestling business like Jimmy Valiant. Well, before ben, before Benny finishes any more of your sentences, uh, <laughs> as we wrap up here. He, We've mentioned a few times we've thrown, we've talked about your book. Why don't you plug that for your final thought? And my book again is called Waking Up from the Wrestling Ring to the Yoga Mat. It covers my experience and friendship with the great Jimmy Valiant. It also goes back in time through my journey in the wrestling world and everything that brings that that has gotten me to where I am today. And for anyone out there that is experiencing problems with drugs, alcohol, mental health suicidal thoughts, any of that, I can tell you, if you read my book, there are some answers in there and things that you can do to, to, to make life better. And you can also reach out to me personally. All my information is in the back of the book. And I, you know, I'm happy to talk to anyone anytime. Well, there you go. As speaking of talking, we'll definitely have to have you back on. I know we barely scratched the surface of a lot of what we wanted to talk about tonight. So maybe we can pencil this in as part one and uh, we'll make some arrangements to have you back on the show. That would be great. I really appreciate you having me on tonight. Thank you, Benny. Thank you, Dan. Absolutely. Our pleasure. Well, there you go. For uh, Knuckles Nelson, for Benny Scala, I'm Dan Sebastiano. Have a good night, everyone. And as always, happy wrestling. Good night, folks. <laughs>